Every now and then I'll, I'll see these memes on Facebook or I'll see these links. And one of them was about ridiculous things that toddlers say. So there's a bunch of these little baby pictures, these cute little babies. And then underneath it is just some people talking about their experiences of the really ridiculous things that their little toddlers would say. So I'll give you a couple of them. One was a, a man who said, I was tucking in my two-year-old. He said, goodbye, dad. I said, no, we say goodnight. He said, I know, but this time it's goodbye. Uh, another one, another father said, I was sound asleep and at around 6 a.m. I was woken up by my four-year-old daughter's face inches away from mine. She looked right into my eyes and whispered, I want to peel off all your skin. <laughs> you just imagine this, right? So... What makes this really funny, I think, if we analyze it, is that the children don't understand what they're saying. And that's what makes it funny. But it's not funny when God's people don't understand what they're saying. Instead, it's tragic. As we mature in the Lord and as we grow as people of God, we should understand the things that we're saying. And you're held accountable for the words that you speak. When you're little, not so much because, you know, what do you know about the words that you're saying? You know, we'll have, uh, I taught uh, chapel for CCS on Wednesday, and I have to be very careful with the words I use because some of them they don't understand what I'm saying. I mean, you guys don't even understand half the words that I'm saying, but they didn't understand, so it's like twice as difficult. Like one kid raises his hand, he's like, what does exaggerate mean? I was like, oh, how do you explain that? Right, but as you grow in knowledge, you should also be aware of the words that you're saying. There's an illustration that John Corson used. He's a pastor that many Calvary people respect. And uh, probably your parents have heard this illustration before. Um, hoping that you haven't heard this too often. But it's, it, it's a very powerful point. Um, so there's this guy who wants to buy a house. And he's looking around, doesn't really find anything. But then he finds this one house that is selling the house for about half the value of what it's worth. So this guy's really excited. He's like, wow, there's gotta be something wrong with it. I need to find out. So he talks to the guy who owns the house. Hey, uh, I heard that you're selling this house for half price. He's like, yes, yes I am. It's like, is there any catch or anything like that? He's like, no, 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 there's no catch, except you can have the entire house except for one nail in the house. He's like, one nail? He's like, yeah, you, the whole house is half price, but I have to be allowed to own one nail. So how many of you have heard this before? Anyone? Okay, good. So the guy's like, yeah, whatever, it's a nail. So he allows the guy to have his nail and he buys the house. Really excited, loves the house, lots of rooms, lots of places for uh, his family to relax. And so this guy who owned the house previously, one day brings in a dead dog and hangs it to the nail. And the guy's like, what are you doing? He said, you said I was allowed to own my nail. So I'm just taking ownership of my nail. I'm putting a dead dog inside of your house. He's like, well, this is ridiculous. But he looked at the contract and he signed the contract over. So I guess he had to live in that house with a dead dog rotting in there. 
and the mucus and pus flowing out of the skin and fur. Days go by and this dog is just rotting and the whole stench, even though it's only in one room, it fills the entire house. And this guy, you know, consulted lawyers. He's like, there's got to be a way I can get out of this, but there's just no way around it. So eventually, the guy has to move out. He's like, oh, whatever, I just, I have to leave. I can't stay in this house any longer. It was all because of that one nail. And in the same way, although the tongue is a small part of our bodies, it can dictate the direction of our lives. And Satan would love to grab a hold of our tongues if possible. Stirring up jealousy in the church, maybe causing division and causing gossip to circulate around the church to keep other people away. Satan would love to do whatever he can to grab a hold of our tongues. And if you're not paying attention to your words, you can find your whole life in trouble. That's the main idea behind tonight's message. If you're not paying attention to the words that you speak, you can find your whole life in trouble. If there's a worm in the apple, the whole apple is rotten. If there's a pellet, and I didn't even plan this, but if there's a pellet of food in my cup of water, I'm not drinking that water. The whole thing is messed up. Unless I'm really thirsty, maybe I'll think about it. So this is the indication that we have uh, of the world. It's by the things that you say. And if you profess to be a Christian, and at the same time, the things that come out of your mouth are filthy then that's an indication that there's something inside of your heart that's not right. Anyone can use any words to say anything. But it only takes a true believer of God to say things that are consistent with his or her life. And so that's why I think the greatest indication of a believer in God is the words that they say. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, as we've heard oftentimes and, and many times here at youth group. And so if a person's cursing and gossiping and slandering all this stuff and says, oh yeah, but I'm a Christian, it causes us to worry. What other parts of their life are uh, not aligned with the gospel? So our mouths are a window into our hearts and we have a great responsibility to be conscious of how we use our tongues. We have a great responsibility. You and I are responsible to use our mouths either to glorify God or glorify man. And obviously the responsibility is not to glorify man, it's to worship God if you are a Christian. And you're to be consistent in that. So when we speak of God, we are responsible to be conscious. Am I using my tongue in a way that's pleasing to the Lord when I speak about God to other people? And also when we speak about others, am I glorifying the Lord in the way that I talk about this brother or sister in the Lord? It says in James chapter 3, starting verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. The reason he says that is because many of these early Christians couldn't read. So what in effect happened is these people were very uh, anxious to become teachers. Because if you became a teacher, you had a lot of power assigned to you. You could control the ideas of a society or a nation or a group of Christians because you were the person that held all the knowledge and you could teach them a way to go. And I kind of liken it to how the government today uh, 
not trying to be too political or anything, but it, it always seems to me that government language, whenever they talk about politics, is always the stuff that you can never understand. I don't know how many of you are of voting age, but when you are of voting age, you'll go to the ballots and there'll be like a five paragraph long thing on, do you approve or not approve of this bill? And you have no idea what they're talking about. So you need an interpreter to tell you what this bill is so they can control your vote. It's very similar to this idea and also how the Catholic Church didn't want anyone to read and to be literate because if they could read the Bible for themselves, they could make their own decisions about God and realize that the people that were in authority were not in line with the commands of God. So being a teacher, being a leader um, also has the responsibility of preaching correctly and if you don't, you receive a stricter judgment. But maybe you're not thinking about being an official teacher or a pastor or a preacher. Maybe you're like, well, that has nothing to do with me because I don't want to be one of those people. But maybe you're aiming for another position of influence. Maybe it's school leadership and you want to be on the school board. Or you're in a SWAT group and you're mentoring a freshman. Or maybe it's youth leadership and you say, wow, it looks like it'd be a lot of fun to be a youth leader for junior high or something like that. Maybe it's fame. Maybe you want to be on a, a stage where other people respect you. Maybe it's a musician and you want to play music that other people will enjoy and their lyrics that you uh, create are going to be on their mouths. And you have a responsibility, if you are a Christian, to fall in line with what God uh, commands and what pleases him. And I just think about how, how amazing it is to me that so many Christian musicians are so weak in their knowledge about God. I don't know if you guys have seen that too, but I've seen a lot of Christian bands, quote unquote, they'll like be in interviews and they'll be asked questions about God. And I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's a subject, you know, it's how I feel. I mean, God has really changed my life and I, I, it's not for everyone, but sometimes, you know, just God just does stuff. And like, I, I can't really explain it in words, really. Like that's, that's a paraphrase, but one, uh, one band, O oh Sleeper, has an interview on YouTube. If you ever look them up, they're a really popular hardcore Christian band. And uh, they write good stuff. They have good music. But their theology, I don't know. They can think up all they want lyrically and, and think it out and write it and then sing it. But when it comes to being asked the tough questions in front of a live audience, you're accountable to the words that you speak. Because the words that you speak can change other people's lives if you have an influence over them. I think so many Christians are forced into this emotivism, like follow your emotions and your feelings. And because these, these people in the world don't want to hear about God, they want to hear clever opinions about what God could be like. They want to hear how you feel about God or how does it make you feel to be spiritual. They don't want solutions to their problems, they want to talk about how they feel about their problems. Maybe you know a lot of people like that because that's how the world is. And I think the evidence of that is this past week when you have uh, an NBA player coming out and saying, I'm gay, and everyone is praising that, congratulating him for being so bold. But when a Christian steps out and talks about their faith, then they're shunned or silenced. And I know those things are not, uh, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. It's not exactly the same but it shows you how receiving people are of one idea 
when it's based on feelings and rejects another idea when you deal with exclusive truth, meaning this is the way and the only way and everyone is held accountable to that way. So we must be very careful with what we say about God to our culture because we can misrepresent him. If we're not careful, the things that come out of our mouths might actually misrepresent a picture of God. I had an inter, intercultural communications class when I was in college. About two years ago, I took this class. And one professor was showing this video on homosexuality. It was like, a, it was like wife swap, I guess. I don't really remember, but it was some wife swap thing, but they had like a gay couple and then they had like a stereotypical Christian couple. And this Christian example was like the worst example of a Christian ever. She like knew nothing and she was just dumb. I, I don't even know if she was Christian. And so you have this nice gay couple, these two guys, and they're really nice guys. They honestly look like genuine people. And I'm not saying that you can't be gay and be a nice person. You can totally be, be gay and be a nice person. I have gay friends that are nice people. So they show that and contrast it with a psycho who says that she's a Christian and brings her into that household. And they're like, why can't you just leave us alone? Why can't we just have what you have? And why aren't we allowed to love each other? He's like, I don't know, okay? Just the Bible says so. I don't know God. I'm not God. I don't understand these things. You can't understand God. And she just goes off saying that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the worst uh, rebuttal ever. This is the worst defense of Christianity I've ever heard. So I go up to my professor after class because I didn't want to cause a ruckus. I want to be respectful first. And so I, I went through and I was like, now I appreciate that you want to show the, the issues in our culture today. However, if you're going to show a video like that, you have to show the opposite side as well. You can't be biased like that. And she's like, you know, thanks a lot for, for saying that to me. That means a lot. So I'm, I'm going to make sure that next class I'll talk about it. So next class, she talks about it. She's like, class, you know, Alan just came up to me after and was really really, just really disturbed him on his heart because he was saying how this is misrepresenting Christians and it, it wasn't a good picture of what Christians are like because some Christians accept homosexuals. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> I raised my hand. I was like, no, <laughs> no. Like I couldn't even think. I just kind of like threw my hand up and like responded. But you see, if you're not careful, you can misrepresent a picture of God, even if you're uh, well-intentioned. So we must pay attention to the issues at hand, look to represent God and not to please ourselves or people. That's very important. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble, stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are churned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. It can be difficult to restrain our bodies from reacting in certain ways. Like my arm flies up when I'm appalled at what the teacher just said. Maybe you have been frustrated recently and you found yourself instinctively wanting to break something. Probably more of a guy thing. 
you're just really mad and you just feel like you need to, like, I don't know, break something. Like, I don't know, last time I was, like, rejected by a girl, I just, like, was mad. I took my Nutter Butter cookie and just, like, threw it at the wall. I was like, ah, you break some cookie. It's a guy thing. I don't know. Oh, it worked. Sometimes you just got to break Nutter Butters. They have to be Nutter Butters, though. Even so, or even more so, I should say, it can often feel impossible to keep your tongue from reacting. Maybe you've seen that true in your life. Like when you're really frustrated, sometimes you can't help but just scream or pull out your hair or yell or be snappy to someone who yells at you. Some of you have seen that video that I posted on Facebook when I was like climbing this one problem and I fell and I like had this freak out and I was screaming and so disappointed. And it's actually really funny and really embarrassing, so don't look it up. Um, did I ever tell you the Rob story when I was in Waco? I don't know if I told this to junior high, and sophomores aren't here anyway, so I'll, I'll tell you the story. So I was in uh, Texas, and uh, I was with my friends, my friend uh, Manuel and JJ, and we were all climbing. And this one guy we just met th- that day was climbing a rock. He was doing something really hard. And when climbers are really into it, they'll scream. Like, instinctively, you'll scream. And I scream, too, when I'm, like, really, you know, focused. This one guy, his scream comes out, Rob. Like, when he's really mad, he'll be like, Rob! Rob! So we don't know this guy, but it's just kind of embarrassing when, like, your manly scream is a guy's name. <laughs> and so we're all thinking the same thing, but Manuel is just, like, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and he's just like, who's Rob, your girlfriend? And I'm just like, dude, you can't say that. And he's just like so focused. He just like ignores him and keeps on going. I had to like slap him after. I was like, I can't believe he just said that. Some of you have probably seen the greatest freak out ever video on YouTube where the guy just goes bonkers because his mom takes away his Warcraft subscription. But more practically, more practically, How many of us yell at our parents when we don't get our way instinctively? Or how many of us want to have the perfect comeback when you're arguing with someone else? And if it doesn't work out the first time, you're like, you're thinking about it and you're meditating on it. You're like, next time I'm going to be so ready and they're going to look so stupid. But how many relationships have we been, have we destroyed by this need to look intellectually superior to our friends. I can think of a number of relationships that I've destroyed by wanting to have that perfect comeback. And then I just had that low blow for the right moment. And once I struck, it was, you know, it struck a lot deeper than, than I thought it would. And it had an effect opposite. You know, I wanted to look smarter than someone else. And what I did was I just ruined a friendship. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, There is one who, whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do your words bring healing to someone else? Or are you just out there to have the last word or to cut people down? If you want to learn how to have self-control over our actions, we first need to learn self-control over our words. We can't start with the actions without going first to how uh, words come out of our mouths. Look at verse 6. 
See how great a forest a little, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is, it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. You know, some speech doesn't appear to be poisonous. Maybe it's the smooth words of a seductress, a girl who is very promiscuous, and she's just out there to get attention. I'm not talking about girls that are just normal, and guys can overreact. And Like, I think a lot of girls, like, meditate on how they're going to, like, get the attention of a guy and, like, when a girl just talks to a guy and a guy likes the girl and she, all she has to do is say hi. And like, oh my gosh, I think she likes me because she said hi to me today. That's all you really have to do. Guys are really simple in that kind of a way. So don't try that hard. But some women, I believe, are intentional about seducing men to boost their ego. I've seen that true uh, in the life of many of my friends. Some women are just out there to receive something from them, to receive validation, to mess with some guy's heads so that they can feel loved. Or when they have an abusive boyfriend and that boyfriend's not giving them what they want or their father isn't giving them the love that they need, they'll search for it in any guy, flirt with them and mess with them just so that they can receive that validation. Now, men do the same. I'm not saying that it's all on the ladies, but um, men are just less creative and I think it's a lot easier to tell when there's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Because they'll just comment on your pictures and say, you're hot, that's it, that's all they got. I'm telling you, guys are just instinctive. We react. And then some guys will just say, hey, I'm just being friendly. I'm not, I didn't mean anything by it. But really, you have to hold yourself accountable to the words that you speak. Matthew 12, 36, as we reviewed a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. It's not just flirting here and there. It's not just saying, oh, I'm just going to comment on this or post this on Instagram or whatever, you're held accountable for every single idle word that you speak. And not just with flirting, but it can also be slander disguised as counsel. How many of us have counseled someone else and, and tried to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm really seeking wisdom. I really need to know what to do about the situation in which this person did this. And you go over the top in describing your situation. And really what you're doing is not looking for counsel or direction you just want to complain to someone else about that person. And that obviously is not the proper use of our tongue. Look at verse, uh, verse 6 again. Or no, not 6, sorry. Where is it? Darn it. Can't find it. Maybe it's not in my Bible. I'll figure it out. 
eventually. I'll keep on going. What are the proper uses of our tongue? That we're obviously talking about there are obvious ways in which we can misuse our tongue, but what are the proper uses of our tongue? First of all, to praise the Lord and give him thanks. Psalm 34 verses 1 through 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall be shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We are to be praising the Lord continually with the mouth that God give it, has given us. Also to preach the good news of Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. We're to be using our tongues to preach the good news and to rebuke where there needs rebuke. Proverbs 28 verse 23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. And finally, to edify and encourage other believers. So praise the Lord, give him thanks, preach the good news of Jesus, and edify and encourage other believers. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing or you also are doing but what are some of the ways that we misuse our tongue well number one as we briefly went over is slander in other words heavy, heavily insinuating how upset you are with someone through social media right when you're really upset with someone you'll just kind of like post it out there on whatever form it is Talking about, oh, I just had a terrible day and this person, whatever, and you don't leave their name, but everyone knows exactly who you're talking about. I think one of the difficulties is it's, it's so easy to vent these days. Before, it's like you didn't have cell phones and you didn't have internet. So when you're mad about someone, you actually had to go physically up to people and talk to them. But now you're even held more accountable by the amount of people that can see your slander. Just think about it. Like, when you gossiped back in the day, you didn't have social media to go around and spread it around. Think about how fast gossip can spread by just posting it on Facebook or any kind of social media. Proverbs 29:11, one of my favorite verses says, "A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back." Another way we misuse our tongue is gossip. Maybe some of you have said, hey, you really shouldn't trust that person. I, I'm just doing this because I'm your friend, but you'll only get hurt if you talk to that person. You know what you've done? You just ruined a possibility of that relationship ever happening that can take years upon years to ever dismantle. If a person really is that much of a jerk, let them find out for themselves. But don't go around gossiping about that person to other people who have no knowledge of that person. Because when you gossip, that obviously is not pleasing the Lord. It's been said that gossip spreads like a gunshot in a mountain range. You shoot a gun in a mountain range and it reverberates, it echoes throughout the mountains. And sometimes the echoes are even louder than an initial gunshot. In the same way, when you gossip, it sounds that much worse when it comes through the ears of other people and the mouths of other people. When you hear there's gossip going around youth group, and when you hear it from the person who's spreading it, it's bad. But when you hear it from five people that you don't even know, then how much worse is that? You don't even know these people, but they already have a formed opinion about you. That is not what the church is for. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men 
who have been made in the similitude of God. Obviously, this is not to be so. Obviously, this is not the way that God intended our mouths. We can't say that we love God and at the same time hate his people. You can't say, Jesus, yeah, I love you, Jesus, but I hate your wife. The church is the wife of God, the bride of God, and we can't say, I'm going to accept some people of God and hate the others. How can we say that we love God and hate his creation? It's this consistency, and he, James gives this picture saying, does, in verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Not saying that it's not possible that you can have them at the same time, because there are some streams that have bitter water and sweet water at the exact same time, and it's just undrinkable. But no stream at all will, will at some times produce bitter water and at some times produce fresh water. It's one or the other. So in the same way, you can't be a Christian who at some times praises the Lord, sings worship songs, oh yeah, thank God, I'm so happy. I'm going to post this on Facebook and say how much I love God and at the same time switch over and talk about how much you hate the church and how much you hate people. It doesn't work that way. That is obviously very inconsistent with the life of a believer. And we are to be accountable with the words that we speak. If you look back at verse 6, it says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. And what this means is the tongue is the first thing that touches the food that you eat, right? And you'll eat food and it goes in through your tongue, but you could eat something that's bad for you. You could eat rotten cheese, right? And it defiles the whole body. Your whole body succumb to stomach pain, right? Your arms are like grasping your stomach, your head's knocked over in between your knees. Your whole body is contorted by what you put in through your mouth. But even so, if things can defy you by putting it inside of your mouth, how much the stuff that comes out of your mouth? And Jesus talks about that in, in Matthew chapter 15. We'll look at it in a second. So slander, gossip, another way we misuse our tongue is boasting. Look at verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I think you can tell if a person just wants to win an argument by the amount of bad logic they use when they're arguing with someone, bad reasoning. Like when someone just wants to win an argument, doesn't really care about the conclusions. I remember Mike Krauser when he was lear learning logical fallacies, which is once again bad reasoning. Uh, we talk about, I don't remember, it's probably about kittens or something. And then I was arguing one way and he was just like, that's the stupidest argument I have ever heard. And it's just like it hurts you. I'm like, oh, I want to say that. Or you always want to be right. All these kinds of different uh, logical fallacies. Here's a practical one that you can use. There's a reason why I'm saying this. Maybe your teachers will say, all good scientists know that evolution is true. Which is obviously a logical fallacy. To say that all good scientists know, well, how do you know that they're good scientists just because they believe one thing or another? And to say that, some scientists believe this thing doesn't negate what other scientists believe. And even if all scientists believe one thing, that doesn't mean that it's true. And in fact, you've seen in history, many scientists have believed one thing, like the earth being flat, and all scientists back then were wrong. That doesn't 
uh, constitute the truth of a belief. Instead, meekness of wisdom is teachable. Proverbs 9.9 says, Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. That's a really hard one. When you're arguing with a friend and you want to be teachable and you want to learn from a friend, admit that you don't know what you're talking about. Admit when you're over your head. Sometimes you just want to sound smart. You just start quoting statistics and you're like, yeah, just there's one study out there. I know it's true. Or I know someone that's really smart and he probably knows what he's talking about. And we're not meek. We're not wise. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. How many times have we exaggerated, made up stories on the spot just to look good in someone's eyes? We're always the hero of our stories, right? We're always the ones that are looking good. And when we tell someone, hey, I did this today, or this person said this about me, we're always the one that's in the right. Very rarely are, the, are we the people that recognize our own faults. Look at verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. But the wisdom that is from above, wait, verse 16, sorry. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You see, this is the cause of gossip, self-seeking. The reason that you're gossiping about someone else, the reason that you're telling falsehoods and lying about someone else, or just even spreading venting uh, to other people and how much you're upset with this, this person, the reason you're doing that is to make yourself feel better and so that other people appreciate you. And when people oppose you, other people that your friends will rally against that person to show them how wrong they are for upsetting you. At the heart of it, any kind of uh, envy is a type of self-seeking. That's where he says where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. It's demonic. Ultimately, when we fail to please God with our tongues, we'll be prone to glorify ourselves. If we're not using our tongues for God, you really have one of two options. You use your tongue for God or you use your tongue for evil. And when you use your tongue for yourself, it's evil. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's hard, isn't it? When someone is wronging you or someone's saying things that you don't like, the wisdom that you give them is pure. It's peaceable. You're not trying to start an argument. It's gentle. You're not yelling at them. You, you bring the, the level and the tone down. Willing to yield when you're wrong. You're saying, you know what? I could be wrong. You know what? You might be right in this case, even if you're not sure. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, no matter who they are, and without hypocrisy, examine yourself. Do I have this exact same problem in my life? More than not, we do. What's the solution? How do we, how do we deal with it when we're in these situations where we just feel like we have to vent or gossip? Or how can we bridle our tongue if it says that no man, in verse 8, no man can tame the tongue? Well, what do you do? Just... It's inevitable that you're going to curse people. It's inevitable that you're going to gossip and slander, so we should just give up. No. The solution, and this is your very simple application for tonight, the way to make sure that your tongue pleases God is to pray. Psalm 19 verse 14 
says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's the prayer that we should pray. Whenever we find ourselves in a position where we, we feel like we just have to vent or just talk about how nasty a person is or how much we can't stand a person, that's when we have to pray, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, including the stuff that goes inside of you, because what is inside of you is eventually going to come out of you, may both those things be acceptable in your sight. And if it's not, that's when you have to bring yourself to correction. Now, it says no man can tame the tongue, but you know what? God is not a man. St. Augustine says he does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men. So that when it is tamed, we confess that this is, this is brought about by the pity, the help, the grace of God. You see, there's a reason why it feels so impossible to control your tongue. And that's because there's only one, that, there's only one person that can, and that's Jesus Christ. And it's only by submitting yourself to God that you're able to place your whole body under submission. That you're able to keep your words under submission. So in conclusion, I want to reiterate that if you're not paying attention to our words, then we can find our whole lives in trouble. A simple thing like words coming out of our mouth, simple things that you could say to one, a person. You could just use a matter of a couple words and it can ruin a person's life. But when you say those words that tear people down, you don't realize that you also are tearing your whole life into pieces. So do you want to know if you're walking with the Lord? Do you want to know if you're a Christian? you want to know if you're falling after him? Well, then what's coming out of your mouth? What are the things that you're saying? I'm not just talking about filthy language like cursing. But I'm also talking about gossip and slander, boasting, self-seeking. The consequences of this, as Matthew 10, verse 32 through 33, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do you realize there's something special about confessing the name of Jesus? You realize there's a reason why God says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Because it's through confession that we are made right with God. In the multitude of witnesses. That's when we speak what's really going on inside of our hearts. So we have a responsibility to confess Jesus, to represent him in the right light in society against the backdrop of people that don't care about him. And we will also, if we're not paying attention to what we say, we are judged for our words as we already talked about in Matthew 12, 36. You'll be judged for every single idle word that you speak. It's not just saying the right words. It's having the right heart. Let me, let me just read you this from Matthew 15, verses 8 through 11. Hear the words of Jesus. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Let me ask you this. How many times do we sing songs at church or just mouth commitments and we're not thinking about what we're saying? When you sing, sing things like, I surrender all, don't think that God's just going to be like, oh, well, he wasn't even really meant, mean it. He didn't really care about what he was saying. You'll be held accountable for every single word that you speak. 
So if you don't really believe in your heart what you're singing, then don't sing. We have the responsibility to be conscious of the things that we're saying, to glorify our creator, not just give a mouth service, lip service, but to live our lives accordingly to the way that we talk. Sometimes we'll say things to each other like, hey, bro, I need an accountability partner. Let's, you know, let's hold each other accountable every single day. We'll call each other up. We'll make sure that we're in the word. Three days go by. I, you're pretty solid. A week goes by. Yeah, call once a week. Month goes by. Oh, whatever happened that? You just completely forget about it. Because we're so used to making commitments and then forgetting about them. We're so used to just saying stuff. Yeah, I'll be there at 7 o'clock on Thursday and forgetting about it. Or as soon as something more important comes up, oh, I just, I, I already made this prior engagement, but yeah, I don't really know if I want to keep that anymore. You just ditch it for whatever's more important to you. Will we be more responsible with our mouths? Will we recognize that what we say can either be used for man or for God? Will we be responsible with our mouths to glorify our creator in an anti-God culture? Gold. It happened. I told you it would happen. Here's the thing. So far we've talked about what it means to speak in a culture that hates God and also use our, use our mouths to glorify God or we can misuse it to slander other people, to misrepresent God. But also we can use our mouths by being silent and not using it at all. I think people don't have a problem with the idea of Jesus today. They have a problem with the person of Jesus. And you see that in the memes that go on in social media. You see that like in these cartoons where we'll say, you know, a picture of Jesus and there's homosexuals on the other side. And Jesus says, judge not. These people aren't listening to me. My followers aren't listening to me. And people subscribe to that idea of Jesus because people don't want the reality of Jesus. They just want a, a social figure that they can point to and say, yeah, that's kind of the idea, the ideal person that we're looking for. Turn with me to Psalm 137 before we close. I want you to really hone in on this. Psalm 137, verses 1 through 6. The people of Babylon captured the people of Israel and similar, similarly, in this culture, mocked them for their trust in God. Just like how we're living in a hostile culture that doesn't want anything to do with God, the people of Israel were, were captured by these Babylonians. And so the Babylonians were mocking them, saying, hey, why don't you sing out to your God? Why don't you sing those praise songs? They sounded pretty good. You know, they were listening to it not because they wanted to worship God, but because they wanted to make fun of them. And so our culture rejects the one God that we serve, and they want to practice, they want us, in other words, to practice religion, but to deny its reality. They say, yeah, you're allowed to practice religion as long as you don't say it's truth. So look at Psalm 137. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion, the mountain of God. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked us of a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion, taunting them, basically. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How are we to live a Christian life in a land that rejects God? And this is what he says, pay attention. If I forget you, 
O Jerusalem, the city of God, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. How could we forget our maker? How could we forget the purpose for why we're put here on this earth? And it's so easy. You know, we're talking about slandering, avoiding that. We're talking about avoiding gossip. But don't forget maybe the most important one of all is setting your eyes on Jesus and sending your words to glorify Jesus in everything you do. If you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added unto you. Everything else will fall into place. But so many people feel like they can't, they can't practice Christianity in the world that they live in or just not cool or just won't fit. And so we'll stay silent in our schools and we won't raise our hands when teachers ask us questions or give lectures that are very forceful or argumentative and we don't feel equipped to talk about those things with people that are out in the community or our neighbors. And so we'll stay very silent in the church and we'll stay very silent in the community because we don't feel like we really know how to defend these things. And what happens is we forget the God that's behind the words that we sing in a worship song. We forget the God and, and the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We're forgetting the God behind everything. And so we sing songs and we do things and we say words and we encourage each other and share Bible verses and we do all that stuff without the heart behind it. How could we live apart from God's guidance? How could we allow ourselves to be used of Satan by putting down other children of God? If you're not using your mouth to glorify God, Satan will find a use for that mouth. And he'll fill it with all the filth he can fill inside of your mouth. He'll put whatever he can inside of it. And you know what? How can we taste and see that the Lord is good if our mouths are full of garbage? If there's one thing that you remember tonight, let it be that. You can't taste and see that the Lord is good if your mouth is already full of garbage.